and welcome to The Mariner with me, Chris Stanmore Major. You join me this morning, I'm down here just on the shore, just down from my house here in Nova Scotia, and it is as quiet and as peaceful as you can possibly imagine. The tide's out, the waves just lapping in. I don't know if the phone picks it up, but the crickets are going in the background, wind just rustling through the trees, and the sun hasn't come over the horizon yet, it's just lighting up the, the eastern horizon and it is absolutely gorgeous. And as I sit here on the dock and, and look down about 100 feet ahead of me, down the end of the dock, there is an open 60 tied to the end of the dock. And I've got to say, as a sailor, it is pretty magical to be able to come down and see a boat like this sitting at the end of the dock. I bought this house specifically because it has a deep water anchorage right in front and we've actually developed that into the fact now that it's uh the boat can tie on to the end of the dock again i just put its bum up against the dock and i actually went diving the other day and looked underneath and she's kind of making herself a little uh little hole to sit in put the keel in um but she's happy as larry sitting down there now and the canadian flag flying proudly from the top of the mast the nova scotia flag beneath it it's an absolute sight i wish you could see this it's gorgeous but um in this very very quiet setting uh i wanted to start to put to you what it is that i'm about to go and do we're going to be getting involved in the next well six months i guess in a pretty big project which is going to see me at the other end of the scale those who've been listening to the podcast for a while know that my intention is to go and sail around the world west solo non-stop and try to take the outright record for that from a colossus of sailing from Jean, Jean-Luc Van der Heed who's uh, held the record now for 16 years but um, I've got the right piece of equipment I've got the right skills <laughs> whether we can translate that into a, a victory I don't know only five people have ever completed this route five people ever sailed no- solo non-stop west around the world so it's a it's a big task but I feel ready for it, and uh, I'm very proud to be able to tell you that um, I've talked to the local sailing community and to a couple of people in local government, and uh, we've got permission to change the name of the boat and to change the name to the Pride of Nova Scotia. I am unbelievably excited to be able to take that name on the boat. The boat, as you know, is sailing around the world. Um, to draw attention to Nova Scotia, to draw attention to this incredible province of Canada, Atlantic Canada on the eastern seaboard, um, which has this incredibly strong maritime heritage, um, a place which revolves around the sea. Many, many people that live here still work on the sea or in industries which are very much connected to the sea. Beautiful, natural area which has... You know, the the shore side is gorgeous, the countryside is gorgeous, but viewed from the ocean, I I don't think I've ever been anywhere, anywhere more beautiful. I guess I'm biased because I live here, but uh, (laughs) anybody who knows me knows I'm pretty, pretty passionate. So to now be setting off on this and to actually have a boat called the Pride of Nova Scotia, I'm, uh, I'm beside myself. So no more Falcon. Falcon was a name which... I think I had to put on the boat um, as I went and uh, collected her from France. Those, again, who know the story know that a year and a half ago, I went over to France, picked up a boat which had not been sailed in 14 years. 
put it back together on my own in about 10 days. I had uh, sailed to France um, because basically we were looking for the boat's equipment. I bought the boat at a, a reasonable price, which was reflecting the fact that the big 40-foot container, which had all the boat's equipment in, had been kind of lost to administration and lost to logistics over the time that it had been in storage. Uh, the previous owner had put it into uh, a yard in France and then that company had gone bust and the container had moved and the boat was still for sale and the owner lived in Japan. And a lot of complications led down to the fact that no one knew where this container was. And with my friend Keith Davidson working on uh, Google, looking basically down on Google Earth, we got this bit of intel that the container was somewhere in Cherbourg and he spent hours scanning, scanning, scanning. We knew roughly what the container looked like. And then we got down to a, uh, a long, hour-long phone call with me running up and down the streets of Sherbrooke, <laughs> looking over fences and looking around hedges and finally identifying, yep, there it is, and went to see that company. Had a fantastic, warm welcome from them. And yep, we've got the container and uh, we were able to reunite the boat with all of its equipment, move it down, all that equipment down to the boat. And then uh, I set off, sailed from France across the channel to England, to Falmouth, um, did a little kind of test drive, little uh, sea trial, make sure she was okay, and then set off across the Atlantic. And when I did that, I wanted that name Falcon, which meant a lot to me. One of my great heroes is um, Robert Falcon Scott, um, Scott of the Antarctic. Um, if you don't know much about him, very much worth reading. There's a, a fantastic book about him called Scott by... Um, uh, Ranulph Fiennes, himself a polar explorer, um, someone who very much knows the story. And he gave a whole new version. I already knew this, but uh, he gave the correct version of what Robert Scott did. An incredibly tenacious, brilliant leader uh, faced with an impossible task and uh, managed to make it happen above uh, all odds. So uh, a, a, a talisman of tenacity in pursuit, something that I hold to be one of the very highest human qualities to persevere, uh, to have grit, to have determination, to push through to your goals. And although he was not successful in that, as we all know, he and his small team um, ended up perishing in a tent very close actually to the what would have been safety in the end of their journey. But um, for a long time, he was known as like the bungler of the Antarctic by people that didn't understand his story, didn't understand what he'd done. And um, yeah, he is for me uh someone which when time get difficult i i often think of him um, and also i'm a star wars fan so <laughs> the millennium falcon you know it's pretty pretty uh pretty close to my kind of sailing that you know it, it's, it might be a back bucket of bolts but man it gets there and uh yeah so i had a lot of fun with this boat uh called falcon um but to be able to now change the name to the pride of nova scotia I gotta say, man, it it weighs heavily on me in a in a very good way. Um, this kind of endeavor, sailing solo around the world, you know, there's no one looking over your shoulder. There's no one knowing exactly which way's the wind blowing. And if you want to sit in the cabin for an extra hour and maybe wait until that sail change, you know, it's a bit easier on deck. It's it's very easy to do that, but. Um, I'm super focused on this. I'm super driven. This is something that I've wanted to do now for nearly two decades. Um, but to get the right boat, to get the right situation um, and for it to, to be meaningful, um, that's never come across my, come across my, uh, my, my bow. And now suddenly I'm sitting here. It's just lightning slightly now. The sun must only be a couple of degrees below the horizon. And uh, to look down the dock and see this 
hundred foot high mast with the the flags of Nova Scotia and the flag of Canada flying stiffly in the, the little breeze here, it's uh yeah. I think that's gonna get me to the very best of what I can do. And I think sometimes you need to put a little bit of pressure on yourself like that to really know this is the moment, this is the vortex, this is happening right here, right now, and screw my courage to the sticking place and do this. Um, I think that name um, is going to be a very important, uh, well, kick in the ass, let's, let's be honest. So, so what's it all about? West around the world is um, no joke. Uh, if you're going to go east around the world, the record, I actually looked this up recently. Do you know the, the, the record for sailing east around the world is basically 40 days? <laughs> like, I, I knew it had dropped a long way, but uh, the, the latest record with the 100-foot uh, trimaran, averaging averaging 27 knots around the world just over 40 days it's completely unbelievable but then compare that to the record going west around the world at 122 days and you get a feeling for just how difficult it's going to be but here we go what can we (laughs) what can we do but do it so I think now is a great time for me to also um, put a very special thank you out there to uh, two podcast listeners, to, to Steve and to Kat, who made the funds available for me to be able to get the boat in the water. I had put everything I had into getting the boat ready. Um, the hull basically is 100% ready to go. I'm just tidying up a few details here and there and shifting things around. It's a boat. It's never going to be perfect. You know, this is not some rich boy's uh, toy with a paid captain and crew that keeping it all spick and span. This is is real life, you know. (laughs) I I mowed the grass yesterday. I came down and did some painting. I went back up and made my dinner, came back down and did some sanding. Like, it's real real world. And uh, Steve and Kat heard the last podcast and uh, and contacted me and and stepped up and... uh, manage to just get me over that bar that last little bit I couldn't do and and get me onto the water and I really really thank them for for reaching out and deciding to make a difference you know we're not curing cancer here we're not uh you know we're not saving people from the edge but it's it's meaningful in that you know, this is a project which is meant to promote this province, this uh, beautiful province in Nova Scotia, these wonderful people here. They've been hit hard in the last uh, couple of months. Everybody, everywhere has been hit hard by COVID. Um, but Nova Scotia's had some very bad news, some very bad stories in the in the news. Um, unfortunately, a madman a couple of months ago went off on a killing spree, killed 22 people, including a pregnant woman, and uh, just shocked this very quiet very friendly place you know i don't i haven't locked my door in five years i don't need to lock my car when i go downtown like yeah okay if you're in a city maybe but this is a good place with good people and um that kind of thing happening then there was a military air crew that went down in the in the mediterranean a lot of them from nova scotia we had a little boy who unfortunately got out from the house and then uh, got went down to the river looks like he was playing by the river got swept away they didn't find anything apart from his little wellies um and we had some guy who, again, kind of lost the plot and ended up stabbing a police officer. Like, all this stuff is so, so unbelievably unusual for Nova Scotia. I think it's an identifier of how much stress people are under everywhere with what's happening with COVID. But uh, this place doesn't deserve that. And I started, I, I started a year ago to brand this boat and start to do this for Nova Scotia. But now with COVID, more important than ever that the province gets the best possible 
kick going into 2021. It's a big year. It's a big year for Nova Scotia. For those that know Atlantic Canada, you'll know that the uh, the icon of Atlantic Canada, and indeed a Canadian icon, it's you know it's on the ten cents coin, is the blue nose. The blue nose is a fishing schooner. To, you know, give it the most basic, broad strokes, it's a fishing schooner that was um, the keel was laid literally a hundred years ago uh, in 1920. She was launched in 1921, but she had specifically been designed and 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 constructed to compete for the International Fisherman's Cup. And the International Fisherman's Cup is a regatta which is not sailed anymore. But it basically came out of the fact that the early part of the 20th century, the America's Cup was called off a few times because it was too windy. Um, And the fishermen that were here you know, big fans of the America's Cup because it's the cutting edge of sailing. It always has been. Going back 100 years, it was. But they were a bit like (laughs) scratching their heads as to why it would get called off because it was too windy. So they came together and uh, they created the International Fisherman's Cup and uh, a trophy was put up called the International Fisherman's Trophy by the owner of the Halifax Herald, as it was at the time. And this was raced by these incredible 140, 150 foot uh, schooners. Um, the rules were that they had to be actual operational fishing schooners. They had to be out working. Um, the, the, the Blue Nose, Angus Walters, the captain of the Blue Nose, actually landed the biggest catch that ever came into Lunenburg. And if it was the biggest one into Lunenburg, it was the biggest one anywhere because Lunenburg was at the cutting edge of uh, of, of, uh, of not just sailing technology but also fishing at that time. So a very much operational working boat but with an incredibly skilled captain and crew and she went in and won the fisherman's trophy. Now that alone would be enough but the Blue Nose had a 17-year period where she was only ever beaten once she won seven editions of the fisherman's trophy and the fisherman's trophy stopped in 1938 um, with the outbreak of world war ii but that incredible run like and i was down at the museum the um, atlantic fisheries museum which is here in lunenburg incredible wonderful uh, museum that's on the on the waterfront here and i was reading something about the blue nose a little while back and it said was it the the change that uh, walters had uh, put into the bow was it that the timbers were laid in the winter and you know somehow that made her faster um well maybe but anybody that knows sailing knows that if you've got a boat which is you know repeatedly winning for 17 years there's only one place you look and that's the captain and angus walters was the most famous and probably the most skilled uh captain uh on the atlantic seaboard which means again he's probably the most skilled anywhere this is a very very difficult place to sail 100 miles south of here the gulf stream sweeps up from the caribbean up the atlantic seaboard of the u.s takes a turn out and starts to go across towards europe but only 100 miles south you've got what we call the northern wall which is the the northern boundary of that gulf stream the gulf stream itself running at like 18 to 21 degrees celsius the surrounding water can be as low as eight degrees you've got a lot of fast moving water it can run up to four knots um It's a river running through the middle of the ocean with a completely different temperature, which then means you get massive squalls and storm systems powered up in the in the Gulf Stream to the north of here. 
You've got the Grand Banks. You're going out onto some areas which are Atlantic, but very, very shoal and can create the most unbelievable seas. The film Perfect Storm was uh, all set in and around this area. So these people were going out. I remember, of course, that the world was a lot colder um, 100 years ago. If you think of Christmas cards with carriages going through the snow, those images come from 100 years ago where the world was. We were coming out of a mini ice age and it was it was a colder place. So incredibly difficult sailing and to go into competition and be only beaten once in 17 years is well it's a reason why the blue nose is uh, inaugurated into the canadian um hall of sporting fame she was the first entity to be in there non-human entity to be in the hall of fame and well deserved so going into 2021 is celebrating a hundred years of the blue nose blue nose was built here in lunenburg on the south shore of nova scotia so my vision for this now and the timing and how it's all kind of come together is that we put as much attention as is possible towards Nova Scotia and and see if we can get more international uh, awareness, people coming here to visit, um, people from across Canada and then the American Northeast and America as a whole coming here to see what it's all about, take their holidays and uh, come and enjoy Nova Scotia. And uh, if I can be a small part of that, I would be completely overjoyed, of course. So what does it mean today? Uh, where are we up to? We have got a boat. <laughs> we have a boat. Uh, we've still got a couple of major issues which we've got to deal with. Uh, we've got to get new rigging on the boat. There is no way that we can set off around the world with the rigging that's on here. The rigging on these boats is made of PBO, which is a synthetic material under the brand name Xylon. It's got some long uh, name which is uh, made into an acronym but easier for the likes of me PBO um, but it's basically a synthetic fiber which has almost zero creep so however long you keep it under tension for it doesn't stretch out and get longer everything stretches kind of elastically but once it gets to as far as it can be stretched it will then creep and that's when it's actually changing the shape of what it is it's not going to spring back to where it was so the rigging um, you could have steel rigging on a boat like this you could have nitronic uh, nitronic 50 rod rigging but uh, it would be a lot heavier and this rigging uh, saves me 190 kilos aloft if uh, I was to have metal rigging on the boat i'd have nearly 200 kilos extra up the mast and that is going to affect the performance quite a lot obviously we want the boat to have as little weight up the rig as possible giving the keel the maximum possibility to keep the boat upright and when the sails are upright they don't spill as much wind which then gives you more power to go upwind and we know <laughs> where i'm going it's going to be a lot of upwind so PBO rigging needs to go on. And then the headsails have all been serviced. I don't have a worry to take the headsails uh, around the world again. I actually have two sets. I have a, a Cuban fiber set and I have a Dyneema Dacron mixed set. They're a little bit older, but they're in great condition. And there's two sets. So I'm not worried if I blow out something in the Southern Ocean. I've got a whole other sail I can put in there. We've got a storm sail and then a little staysail ahead of that. And then a jib ahead of that. And then a Genoa ahead of that. So I can actually have four sails rolled on and sitting on the front of the bay all can be changed from the cockpit this very deep cockpit to which all of the lines are led um, so headsails are good spinnakers are good but the mainsail the mainsail is cuban fiber and it is in great shape if we were just going back and forwards across the atlantic and things like that then uh, yeah just going across the atlantic but if we were not looking to go upwind for twenty-seven thousand miles um it would be completely fine but 
you can't take that risk. And it's a big mainsail. It's a hundred, it's 190 square meters. So I don't know what that is in square feet off the top of my head. A lot, 1500, something like that. It's a lot. Um, so we need to get a new mainsail. So these things are not cheap. So I've put every single thing I had, even with Steve and Kat's help, when the boat went into the water and I brought it around to Lunenburg, which I've got to say is probably one of the proudest days of my life. Like, I love this boat. I'm already deeply connected to the boat. I've been pursuing this project. I've actually owned the boat for four and a half years. I've slowly, you know, found the kit, um, found the container, got it onto the boat, got the boat across the Atlantic. If you haven't seen that, go to the YouTube and have a look at the Mariner. There's, I think, 23 episodes, about 20 minutes long each of me getting the boat together and sailing across the Atlantic. Um, but when I got to Lunenburg, <laughs> I had $4 left in the world. <laughs> so, and I say that, you know, with a giggle and a laugh because, you know, there is a kind of game element to life sometimes particularly now when covid's like this it's best to look at it like how can i keep moving forward how can i keep putting one foot in front of the other and attain this dream and sometimes when you fully commit to something you've got to run things down to the razor so uh i got there and i had enough to go and get a candy bar basically and a coffee and sit and look at the boat and be proud <laughs> and then get on my bicycle and ride home um but uh, as we move forward, what we've got going on today... Oh, sun's just coming a little bit lighter now. I can kind of see what's going on. I won't be able to see the actual sun as it goes over the horizon. It's just around the corner, but it's just that beautiful moment where everything's still got that lovely kind of hazy yellowness to it. Um, but you know the day's coming. Here it comes. The stars have all gone now. Yeah, as we've been chatting, the star last of the stars have, have disappeared for the day. But um, yeah, the... Uh, the thing for me now is uh, we are about to announce this all to the press. So we wanted to get the name of the boat sorted out, which really only did in the last 48 hours. Um, got a wonderful um, package of stuff together, which we're going to be putting in front of the the newspapers and the periodicals and the, the radio and the TV and something here in Nova Scotia. Hopefully that's picked up and taken nationwide. Hopefully it's picked up and taken internationally. It's a bit of a funny time to be doing this in a way. Some people might say, well, the Vendee Globe's on. Like, shouldn't you be in the Vendee Globe? Um, the Vendee Globe, obviously, solo, non-stop, east around the world. If you want to be involved in that and you want to be competitive, you need a boat that's up on foils. And um, for all of her performance uh, how do we how do we how do we make the pride of nova scotia shorter i can't say pride of nova scotia all the time the pride can i say that we'll, we'll, <laughs> i'll try it out through this podcast let's ever see how best to refer to a boat that's called the pride of nova scotia um pride's um about a ton and a half about 1500 kilos heavier than uh the the latest boats now I take that for what I'm doing to be brilliant. I really want there to be as much carbon fiber in this boat, as thick as possible. I don't want to be going on a boat that's light. There's no benefit to me. Um, as you're going upwind, you need to be able to punch into the waves. She's also fixed keel, which again, I take to be a massive benefit. She's uh, perfectly attuned to this, uh, this challenge we've got in front of us. Canting keels are a fantastic uh, performance um, multiplier uh, you're able to move the weight of the keel to windward which then can just by moving the weight of the keel you're about four and a half tons on the bottom of these boats by moving it to windward you can induce the same uh, writing moment as having like 50 or 60 people sitting on the side deck of the boat what the pride does is she has water ballast so she can put four tons of ballast four thousand liters of 
uh, water down her flank and then she can also put up to two tons into the bow um, she was a kind of bit of a bandit even back in the day she was the fastest 60 foot boat in the world um, in 2000 when she was put onto the water she took the record at 438 miles in a day she kept the solar record until 2005 and then in 2007 Alex Thompson uh, there was a couple of other people in between but he pushed it up to 500 and we're up at about 538 miles now so she would need to be almost four knots faster by average uh, all through the day to be able to hit the speeds of the new boats but of course they're on foils but um the fixed keel to me the the worry of having a canting keel would be that the um the the pivoting uh, mechanism is a, a big hardened maybe acomet 22 pin that goes through the keel and allows the keel to uh, cant from side to side and then you've got the the big um uh hydraulic cylinders which uh, are which are there to so i'm just i'm moving away from the phone because my cat buddy is like climbing up on me this is the problem of like doing podcasts on the fly down by the dock that the cat decides hey you're here i want to come and chat to you but um oh yeah canting keels let's go back to that so the canting keel when it um is moved back and forwards it's got one or two big hydraulic cylinders they're inside little kind of rotating uh, uh carriers called trunnions and then they're attached into the the, the the, the, the structure of the boat so a lot of things there the bearings the pin the hydraulic system if you're bouncing 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 the keel for weeks months on end um, the pressure waves can be sent down the hydraulic lines and can rupture the hydraulic lines the bearings can crack the pin can crack the trunnions can crack so for me it's very much all about having the most solid uh, combination possible and Remember, I took um, the sister vessel of this boat around the world, Spartan, the open 60 that I took around the world, is exactly the same hull, but built in 97. And in 97, the, um, the canting keel technology was there. This boat was specifically designed with the fixed keel to be as fast as possible, but optimized for going upwind. So it has quite large rudders for an open 60. It has daggerboards, even though it's got a fixed keel, and it has a lot of extra material in the front of it. It has four watertight bulkheads ahead of the mast. And so incredibly solid boat, very small access holes between each bulkhead in the boat so that everything's as strong as possible. But she does what she does, and she has the power she has, and she does it with a fixed keel. So I don't want a super light boat. I don't have a super light boat. Um, so there's no point in entering the Vendée Globe. Now, th there is benefits. That's the downside. I would love to be in the Vendée Globe. It's the biggest round-the-world race. There'd be much more attention because, you know, I'm there. Um, more attention for Nova Scotia would be even better. But the thing with... Um, that situation if the downside is okay i'm not in it what's the upside well the upside is i'm going to attempt to leave the uk on the 5th of november i've got to look at the weather of course but i want to be in and around the 5th of november because the vendee globe's going to leave about a week later um and that means that i will be in or just ahead of the vendee globe fleet as they head towards the equator and the equator is probably the most it's the first big technical decision we have to make from about 10 degrees north to 10 degrees south we have what's called the doldrums or the intertropical convergence zone and this is where um it's a very odd weather system basically the equator of the planet of course is closest to the sun and that means it's heating up more than any other part of the planet and that means that a lot of hot air is rising in and around that area 10 degrees north 10 degrees south it's going up and it's going to go up and stay high and then drop back down about 30 degrees north um, in these cells of weather which exist between the equator and 30 north and 30 and 60 north and 60 and the and the pole so 
there's a lot of rising air, but then there's a lot of temperature. So what you get is like hardly any wind. And then when it does come, it comes in a very powerful squall and then it dies. So the way to get through the uh, ITCZ, the Intertropical Convergence Zone, as quickly as possible, it's not like a fixed band. It's kind of there's waves of uh, pressure moving um, north and south, uh, south of the equator, north of the equator. And if you're lucky, you can get a thinning of that so that instead of being uh, 20 degrees wide, which is like 120 miles, it's suddenly uh, 120 degrees wide. No, I'm talking that'd be two degrees. <laughs> that would be very easy. We wouldn't be worried about that. 1,200 miles wide. Instead of being 1,200 miles wide, if you get a wave of pressure coming up from the southern hemisphere and it pushes the uh, doldrums up towards the equator, then you get a corresponding wave of pressure in the northern hemisphere, which pushes the ITCZ uh, band down towards the equator. Suddenly you can thin it off so it's only about you know, a couple of hundred miles wide. To give you an idea, going through there in the clipper race, I remember I was six hours behind the boat that was ahead of me. And I was in fourth place, and the first three boats got through onto the other side of the of the of the doldrums, the ITCZ. They got through, um, and then the door closed. The wind stopped, and those boats arrived in Brazil, which was our next port of call, three days ahead of me. They were six hours, maybe six hours, eight hours, ten hours ahead of me. The three boats, they got there three days ahead of me. So um, that's the difference. So. I need to be through there as quick as possible. So my sneaky plan is that uh, if you've got the best minds in the world, the best sailors in the world, all heading in towards that area, why not be in around what they're doing? And then they can uh, show me, lead me, follow me, whatever it is. But I'm going to be in and around there. It's going to be pretty hard to, um, to make a mistake when you've got so much support. The other thing which, of course, is happening is the fact that as I then go into the Southern Ocean, we will all head out from france and basically when you're going from um you're going around the world east even so you'd think you just draw a line from france you know down around the coast and then to to cape town but what happens is you've got this high pressure area that circulates in the southern atlantic called the saint helena high the high pressure systems in the southern hemisphere go anti-clockwise uh, where in the northern hemisphere they go clockwise. So there's a rotation of air in the southern Atlantic, which means that instead of driving straight down into headwinds and then no wind in the middle of the St. Helena High, what the boats will all do is they will basically cross the Atlantic. You'll actually be heading out from the Canaries and heading almost like for Recife on the uh, Brazilian coast. You'll be probably crossing the uh, equator about 38 degrees west, something like that. And they'll be very, very close to the South American coast as they then head south down the Atlantic. And then they'll recurve back across the Atlantic, heading for Cape Town, taking the ride around the lower edge, the the uh, clockwise, sorry, the, yeah, the, the anti-clockwise rotating St. Helena High. They'll row around the outside of it like a roundabout. And, uh, and then they'll go underneath Cape Town. Meanwhile, I will ride with them um and and also you know it's great to have boats around you to 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 get you up to speed i think that's the other thing that i'm very aware of here is that they will be on the water with me and it's tricky i guess if you're on your own i've never just set off around the world on my own but one thing that really pushes you on is if you know you've got uh people around you and you're trying to compete some of them are going to be foiling boats they're going to be too fast for me um or i'm going to be trying to keep up with them or trying to stay ahead of them or whatever it is but there's other boats in the fleet which will be non-foiling and they'll be a good good competition for me and they'll get me on my game early in it I need to be at Cape Horn in 30 days. So the record's 122 days. So if we divide the world up into like four sections, basically France to Cape Horn is going to be 30 days. And then I need to be underneath uh, Perth in Western Australia. I actually used to live there in another 30 days. 
And then from Perth in Western Australia, I need to be under Cape Town, another place I've lived. <laughs> I'll be able to wave all my old addresses as I go past. Um, in another 30 days, I need to be in Cape Town. And then I need to be back up again, going up the uh, anti-clockwise rotating roundabout of the St. Helena High. If I'm coming up from Cape Town, then I get the push up the uh, eastern side of the St. Helena High, up back towards the equator, and then into France. I need to be back in France in 30 days. So if we look at 120, day to, 120 days around the world, I need to be at Cape Horn in 30 days. I need to be in Perth, Western Australia, or south of that in 30 days, under Cape Town in 30 days, and then back in France in 30 days to beat the record. So um, heading down to Cape Horn, I will go to the right and they will go to the left, the Vendée fleet. And then I should see them in the Southern Ocean. I'm not sure exactly where. I'd imagine between Perth. I imagine about Perth are probably about right. I'm just trying to work that out. Yeah, probably under Australia somewhere. They'll be looking for the fastest boats will be around the world in between about 70 to 80 days. Um, so they're going to be also at Cape Town in around 30 days. And then they're going to be, say, you know, 20 days on from that, 50 days or 20 days. Yeah, so it's going to be Australia. It's going to be maybe the, I will pass the fleet as I go under Australia, whether it's under New Zealand or under Perth, but somewhere around there I'll cross them. So a very, very remote part of the world. And, uh, you know, a feeling of... Um, of uh of safety perhaps to have uh, other boats out there on the ocean i don't want to be relying on anybody else for help i always see myself as being self-sufficient at sea whether i'm a, a mile out to sea or two and a half thousand miles out to sea at point nemo but um maybe i can be support for them but more boats out there is better um and uh you know not to be unaware of the fact that uh where i'm going is very dangerous and uh and where they are is very dangerous so we can all help each other so there are benefits of being out there with the vendee fleet i think the way that it's going now with uh, covid there's hardly any racing sailing racing events going on so um i'm hoping that me setting off on this record attempt you know record attempts are not followed as much as something like the Vendee Globe but there's always an interest you're always pushing hard there was a French guy that went to try and do the uh, West around the world record in 2017 he took a trimaran and I think his idea was that he could nip under the horn and then he could go north into kind of better better weather and then although he'd do much longer distance than the 27,000 miles done by the current record holder Jean-Luc Vandenheed um, he would do further mileage but those boats are so fast that he would be able to still beat Jean-Luc overall um, unfortunately it didn't work out he flipped the boat within 24 hours of Cape Horn and had to be rescued the boat was lost and that's the end of that so I don't think anybody's gonna be going for the west around the world record in a multi-hull uh, anytime soon it's a monohull record now Jean-Luc Vandenheed's boat was an 85 foot purpose-built um, sloop called Adrienne it had a hundred foot mast same as the Pride how do we do this as the prides the pride man this is gonna be tricky same as my bow <laughs> i'll get my head around that soon um the uh the same same size carbon uh, fiber mast um actually my boom is a little bit bigger my mainsail is a little bit bigger overall my sail area is a little bit bigger but um that boat very heavily built um big seven ton i think it was seven ton or 13 ton keel on it so very very stiff upwind but uh 33 tons overall so how does that stack up against this boat? The trip up and down the Atlantic, uh, an open 60 is 
except for a Volvo 70 or a Volvo 65 or, or some kind of bespoke built boat, uh, an open 60 is literally the fastest monohull you can have to go up and down the Atlantic. I have no problems there. And even though this boat's a little bit older, she's a couple generations back, she's going to hold her own pretty nicely going up and down the Atlantic. Certainly Cape Horn in 30 days is not a stretch. Going into the Southern Ocean, the great weight and the great strength of um, Jean-Luc's boat is going to be to his advantage but an open 60 has done this previously the previous record holder uh, from 2000 a guy called philippe monet did it in a, a built uh, an open 60 built in 1989 called unette and um the open 60s then would be a lot heavier she was uh she was around 10 and a half to 11 tons uh where i'm at nine tons she didn't have as big a rig she wasn't as optimized for upwind work but she um, she did do the trip around the world, but she did it in 155 days. And actually looking at Philippe Monet's uh, route, he dived very far into the Southern Ocean. Um, he seemed to have a lot of issues with the boat. He came back and described it as 155 days in hell, which sounds just dreadful. Um, but he was able to keep... Um, he was able to keep up with what Jean-Luc was doing in the Southern Ocean. So that a boat which is 85 foot on the waterline has a, a, a faster speed when it's in displacement mode than a 60 foot boat on the waterline. Um, up when Jean-Luc van den Heed's boat can do just under 12 knots, where I can do just under 11 knots. Um, but that is looking at flat water, perfect conditions. It's not bearing in mind waves. Now, waves in the Southern Ocean, obviously, that's the big deal, right? The wind's against you, which is one thing, but the waves are mountainous because there's nothing stopping the ocean as it rotates around the bottom of the world. Anything which starts to develop in the Southern Ocean, the Coriolis effect pushes it to the east, and then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it comes crashing up against the tip of South America and the corresponding tip of the Antarctic Peninsula coming up from the south. The Southern Ocean is 2,000 miles wide. The Drake Passage between South America and Antarctica is only 700 miles wide. The Southern Ocean averages about 2,000 meters deep, where Drake Passage is a lot shallower than that. And in fact, the plateau around Cape Horn is as shallow as 50 meters deep. So mountainous seas, huge waves. When you're going up that size of wave, my experience is you can't do much more than 10 knots because the boat will literally tear clear of the wave at the top of the wave and come crashing down onto the other side and it doesn't matter if you've got a 33 ton boat or a nine ton boat the fittings on the mast and the mast itself don't get very much stronger there's like a there's a, a balance point where you can make the mast heavier but then it's going to be um uh, it's going to have a lot more inertia in it which then means it's going to have to have heavier fittings which means then it's heavier which means it's got more inertia and you end up with a point where um the the great weight of the mast can become the thing that kind of tears it free my mast will weigh about 500 kilos all up with everything um which is pretty darn light for a mast that's 100 feet high it's incredibly strong um but it it is only you know as i'm looking down the dock remember i'm still sitting here on the dock now looking down at this boat the the spreaders of the boat are 20 foot wide so they're well just maybe a little bit more um so they're they're about 20 20 foot and four inches i think something so about 6.2 6.3 meters they're actually wider than the boat so as i look at the boat and i'm basically directly at the stern of the boat the the rigging goes up and gets wider as it gets to the first spreader and then I think a little wider again as it gets to the second spreader and then it gets narrow as it gets to the third spreader and then it tapers in towards the top of the mast so the rigging on this thing is absolutely phenomenal it's as it's as strong as you can possibly get and the this boat originally actually had an unstayed mast so that would be a mast that's only got backstays and forestays so the actual boat itself underneath the mast is incredibly strong because it meant to have an unstayed mast on it, it was just 
secured to the deck. So there is no stronger way of attaching a mast to a boat. There is no stronger form of mast. But as you come tearing out the top of a wave, if you're going too fast and you throw the boat like into open air and then crash it down on the other side of the wave, that could be 20 foot drop. In the end, things are going to fail. There's just no way that anything can stand up to that. So 10 knots in my experience, 10, 10 and a half knots is your upper speed anyway. So the the question is, how hard can I punch through the waves? Um, how How much of that 10 knots can I point towards you know, my objective, if I'm coming from Cape Horn, my next objective really is Cape Town and and Cape of Good Hope. How much of my speed through the water is pointed towards my final destination on that leg, which is Cape Town? That's my VMG, my velocity made good, my speed towards my destination as opposed to my speed through the water. So to optimize the VMG, this boat has all of this ballast. It has two tons that I can put into the front. I can put a ton or I can put two tons. It's got uh, two separate tanks. And that allows me to punch through the waves so that the wind doesn't allow, doesn't push the bow off. And if you're coming out of, uh, you know, 10,000 waves a day and each time the bow comes clear of the water, the bow gets pushed off downwind, then you're going to be losing quite a lot of distance to windward each day. With that extra two tons in the bow, the bow is planted into the wave stays hydraulically locked into it and then there's minimum loss we've also got dagger boards and a fixed keel we've got four and a half ton of uh, tungsten on the bottom of this boat giving tungsten is heavier than lead so it means there's less volume to the keel but also we've got 10 foot of dagger board sticking down we've got 15 foot of keel 10 foot of dagger board depending which side i've got down so incredible amount of grip and then these huge rudders which have this they're deeper than most open 60 rudders and they're longer from front to back the cord length is longer than most open 60 rudders. they in fact hang out the back of the boat <clears throat> so the boat is uh as good as it possibly can be for going upwind um, but John Luke Van den Heed would not have been doing much more than 10 knots upwind in the Southern Ocean. So his great skill is being able to turn as much of that towards Cape Town as possible. I need to get a little, uh, little bit of that. Now, to help me do that, I've, it's a record attempt, which means that I can get weather information in from off the boat. So I've asked Eric Holden, who's a famous Canadian sailor, winner of the Clipper Race, Round the World Clipper Race, brilliant meteorologist that's his speciality area so he's going to be my meteorologist ashore looking at the weather and feeding me the best possible information um i'm also another good thing of the vonde boats being out there a lot of you know discussion online of weather systems and uh, although eric of course will have his sources that he can go and get the raw data it's good to have other meteorologists and other experts looking at it and looking at the weather patterns and deciding what's going to happen so i've got the best possible opportunity to pick the best possible route through the southern ocean so um got the boat can't do much more than 10 knots up these big waves but then looking at the i've kind of estimated the polars of that boat i've got a pretty good idea of how fast it would be able to go uh, jean-luc van den Heed's boat um so i've estimated the polars as best i can and the um the the upshot of it is that basically a 33 ton boat it might be a bit quicker upwind in in some conditions but as soon as the wind gets light or the wind comes anywhere other than a beat i'm instantly faster and off the wind i'm way way faster um this boat the, the pride can we call it that the pride can do about um 
22 to 23 knots in flat water or reasonable conditions when she's got the true wind at about 150 degrees. So in about 25 knots of wind, that true wind blowing onto the back of the boat about 150 degrees from the bow, she can do 23 knots. So she can also run up to speeds with surfs and with falling down a wave. There is actually a picture in some of the data that I got with the boat of the boat's GPS and it records 34.9 knots. So in that exactly fits in with my experience of uh, Spartan which was exactly the same hull that I took around the world and I've done exactly the same speed just just under 35 knots on a surf so incredible uh, speeds available but very much suited towards uh, light air conditions and wind off the beam but then with the optimization this boat's got also able to punch to windward so it's a winning combo it's a winning combo so my great concerns how can it go wrong well you know Falling into the cockpit and breaking my leg or breaking ribs is possible. Um, last time I went around the world solo, I remember swinging into the cabin, missing my handhold, knocking myself on the uh, the, the kind of jam of the hatch. And uh, when I went in there, it was daylight. And when I woke up, it was nighttime. So, <laughs> you know, you have to be very, very cautious. I had the last time I went around the world, the water maker stopped working. We won't be making that mistake this time. We'll be taking a few extra bits and bobs just in case. I had a broken tooth, which had me in agony for two weeks. I was making epoxy fillings and shoving them in there. So there's all sorts of things. As I always say with this stuff, the hardware, the boat can take it. The question is now, can the software take it? Can I take it? Now, can I take a beating up wind? Yes, I can say that because I've been in lots and lots of heavy conditions and anybody that's been with me on the boat knows um, I, I'm not too worried about heavy weather. Um, certainly with this boat, sev seven watertight compartments plus the ballast tanks themselves are a watertight compartment plus the uh, boat itself above the waterline is made of foam. It's very hard. You can never say of a boat that it can't be sunk, but um, it's very, very hard. You'd have to put multiple, multiple holes into this boat. And uh, even then, you'd still have some part of it that you can make into a survival shell. So I'm not worried about like the, the boat breaking up underneath me or something like that. I'm not worried about the design of the boat not being up to it. Um, she's exactly the right piece of equipment. But I just the thing that can push you back is, um, is you know, that you injure yourself. So I've got to be very, very cautious about that. So um, I'm excited. I'm, I'm very excited. We've got a challenge ahead. You know, we've got to get the, the money for this rigging. There's time enough to do it. There's time. It takes about 50 day, days to, for North Sales to build a mainsail. Um, it takes about two weeks if nothing else is on the table for um, Navtech to build the rigging and then delivery and all that kind of stuff. But um, we've got time. Uh, as I speak to you now, we're just, uh, you know, coming into... Uh, the uh, the end of uh, August here. God, I don't know what the day is. I better press a button on my phone and find out. I think it's the 20th. <laughs> I don't know. I just, at the moment, my schedule is that basically uh, I work all night and I work through the day until about six and I eat one meal a day, um, which I've got into that recently as a dietary choice. Um, I find that I'm very good at snacking, like a bit too good at snacking. I've pretty much cut, cut sugar out of my diet, which anybody that knows me will be flat on their back, unconscious on the floor to hear that now. But you know, again, when you've got something I'm on a boat called the Pride of Nova Scotia, I live in Nova Scotia, I love Nova Scotia, it's 100 years of the Blue Nose, like, I got to be at my best. And I don't know if you know this, but <laughs> sugar is a poison. And uh, it, it, it causes huge inflammation, it causes cell damage. And I just can't, I can't be at that point, I have to be as good as I can possibly be. So I'm, I'm changing my diet, I just have one meal a day, which is it creates uh, uh, a, a different kind of way of being, uh, I've got to say, I've got a lot more energy than uh, waking 
waking up and having uh, crazy Dr. Kellogg's uh, cornflakes. Like, we could have a chat about Dr. Kellogg one time in the future. Like, what a maniac. But um, the uh, I don't want to have a load of carbs for breakfast and then feel lumpy all through to lunchtime. They have more carbs at lunchtime and feel lumpy through to tea time. So I just have one meal a day now and then uh, sleep through from about 8 through to about midnight rinse and repeat get up and start working and I've always been a night owl I love being up at night I've actually found a little schedule here that works for me so I'm doing about four hours sleep and when I go onto the boat I'll be into polyphasic sleeping which is another word for being awake most of the time and napping when you can but um, it's good to start to think about you know I'm awake at night I'm not sleeping very much. How does my food work? And getting into that mindset like right here, right now. Obviously, before I set off on this record attempt, the the, the start line for this, it's, uh, it's you know, a proper um, uh, tracked record attempt by the World Speed Sailing Record Council. I will have their tracker on board the boat. Their invigilator will come down and check the boat over um, before I go, make sure it's up to spec, make sure it, you know, is what it's meant to be. It hasn't got like a giant outboard engine on the back or something. Um, but uh, I need to sail to England first. And uh, then the start line is a line between Ushant, which is at the, the, the northern part of France, just kind of close to Cherbourg, um, and then over to the Lizard Lighthouse, which is just next to Falmouth, which is the Lizard Lighthouse, a super famous place. And we go in past that every time we do our Marconi Transat, when Spartan Ocean Racing does the Marconi Transat, um, which is a voyage we've done every year for the last five years, um, we come in past the, the lighthouse. And if you're interested to sail with that, just as a side note, Spartan is starting now to look at 2021 and starting to to uh, book things it's slow um i was looking online this morning tui the uh, travel uh, uh operator are reporting 98 percent down on travel booking so right now obviously it's bleak days but we've just basically mothballed the whole company some fantastic clients have uh, uh said okay we'll take credit for next year and people that you know need money back from things they understand the situation so everything's mothballed for now but um going into 2021 we're starting to open up opportunities the website spartanoceanracing.com has got information about the around the world record attempt um and it's also got information about joining us and the, the marconi's brilliant it's a transat we've done it fast as we've ever done it is eight days and 20 hours i think but you know if the wind's going the wrong way it can be 10 10 11 days but um we leave from Lunenburg and then sail up to Saint-Pierre, which is a little island just off the coast of, uh, if you don't know it, just off the coast of uh, Canada, there's an island which is French, like French, French, French. It has got French flags. It is France. Um, so we sail from Canada to this little outpost of France, which is awesome. Go and have like, all of the food is flown in. Stuff that's not made there is flown in from France. It's like authentic bread, authentic uh uh, French culture is beautiful. So we go there first and then we go to St. John's in Newfoundland, which is always brilliant. And then we sail from St. John's, Newfoundland. It's called the Marconi because the first ever wireless transmission by Guglielmo Marconi was from the UK to the Cabot Tower in St. John's. And it's uh, 1904 he did that. And our, our uh, event that we do as we leave the uh, the Cabot Tower, we're just underneath the Cabot Tower and we sail across to Falmouth, which is just next to where that transmission was sent in 1904. Um, it's exactly 1904 miles. So it's a, just under, with a wiggle and a jiggle, uh, it's a 2,000 mile Atlantic crossing. I say we've done it in eight days and 20 odd hours. And it's lovely, like remembering that bit of history, the first wireless telegraphy went exactly down that route, um, you know, a hundred and some odd years ago. So um, that and other events that Spartan does, uh, we're not going to be probably going 
going back to the Caribbean. Um, we're going to start doing a lot more stuff in the American Northeast and the Canadian uh, Atlantic provinces, particularly around here in Nova Scotia. Um, doing the huge circuit of the Atlantic, 15,000 miles each year, is uh, very difficult. Very difficult on my personal life, very difficult on the boats, very difficult financially. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm investing 100% of what I do here in Nova Scotia. I think if people want great sailing and they want to come and experience the boats that we have, then come to Nova Scotia like you can't get it any better you're gonna you know you're gonna fly to England to you know to, to come and join me you're gonna fly to the Canaries to join me you're gonna fly to the Caribbean come Nova Scotia it's amazing <laughs> oh the sun's now up enough that I can see it's reflected off, off the windows of the houses opposite me where I live it's a little kind of like inlet and it's, it's almost like a lake really it's only a couple of hundred meters wide uh, where, where you get in from the ocean but um, so I can't see the sun but it's over to my left here and the houses are reflecting the light back at me which is awesome but um, yeah, when we um, when I leave here, I've got to sail across the Atlantic first to get to the start line to go and pick up my tracker and, and have the invigilation done, and then I'll be setting off around the world. So I've got uh, this opportunity now to start getting onto the kind of sleep patterns, the food patterns, and uh, be in and around the boat all the time. As soon as the rigging's done, uh, we can use the mainsail we've got to. Uh, get the uh, boat onto the water and go sailing. I'm very excited to do that. The Halifax Harbour and Bedford Basin. If you didn't know, when the Atlantic convoys used to set off across the Atlantic, the ones that formed up in um, in Nova Scotia, which was a lot of them, they formed up in Halifax Harbour and in the Bedford Basin. It's massive. Uh, actually, I just went across the bridge the other day there, and I didn't really realise myself. I've because I've been doing all this crazy sailing all around the Atlantic. I haven't really spent much time in Halifax and in Halifax Harbour and kind of getting a feel for it but this incredible like inlet and, and natural basin which um, is deep all throughout and the convoys used to form up in there and then go out into the Atlantic in fact there's a U-boat sunk directly off of Halifax because they were trying to like get at the convoys as they were setting off from Nova Scotia so um there'll be an opportunity as soon as the rigging's done to go uh, with the mainsail we've got and go up and sail around in the Halifax sail in the Bedford Basin and again the the basis of this is to promote Nova Scotia to an international audience but to also do something for Nova Scotians and for and for Atlantic Canadians but to say look we're here we're strong um, you know we're positive the future's looking good there's all sorts of wonderful things going on uh, on the south shore and in Halifax on the water I'm very very lucky to have the support of Develop Nova Scotia which is the crown corporation here in Nova Scotia which deals with all the waterfront properties they've uh, been great supporters all through this not financially but they're able to allow me to go onto their wharves and to help with the communication and the marketing and that kind of thing it's been fantastic and thank you to Jennifer Angel that heads up Develop Nova Scotia um, doing what they can um, to, to, to help me with this but to get out in the Halifax Harbour which is a natural amphitheatre and to be seen by people seen from people working in the office towers by frontline workers who are uh, still hard at it of course keeping keeping everything going um the the branding of the sails is all nova scotia proud you know the boat's called the pride of nova scotia but the project is nova scotia proud that's exactly where i'm at i'm very proud to live here and i'm very hopeful that um as we've had these hits with covid and these these dreadful bits of news in the last couple of months that people look at that and go oh yeah like it is awesome <laughs> nova scotia is awesome and uh maybe create a little smile create a little uh, wave of pride for those who uh you know who've got it got to go to work or got to stay at home or got to do whatever they got to do right now and and times are tough and just remind them that uh 
we are very lucky that we're in this part of the world and um, um, everyone's facing hard times right now. But if you're in hard times, it's great to be doing it with good people and in a good place. So that's the plan right now. It's an opportunity, hopefully, to um, uh, do what I can for Nova Scotia and for Spartan as a company to, to go and be involved in a very big project. You know, we've done ARC Transats. We've done our own events across the Atlantic. We've done Newport Bermudas. We've done Middle Sea Race and we've done... Caribbean 600s. I think I've done the last six Caribbean 600s. We've done Heineken regattas. We've done um, uh, Fastnet races. We've done all sorts of things. And the thing now is uh, to go and do an actual round the world event, which is what I'm uh, most passionate about. So a very, very exciting time coming. What I'm thinking is that now I've discovered how to uh, do the podcast is right here on my phone. Maybe I can upgrade back to a microphone. Why have I not got a microphone? Well, (laughs) guess what? (laughs) Microphones don't float. So let's just leave it at that. You can probably guess the rest of it. But uh, yeah, there was a splash. There was a tear. And now we're chatting to each other via my phone. But um, the cat's coughing on some grass or something that's eaten the sound of the water the birds behind me the 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 crickets earlier me chatting about what i can see i never know where you are when i'm talking to you on these people chat to me and say i'm walking the dog and i'm doing the housekeeping i'm at work i'm driving the car i'm doing carpentry building kitchens like who knows where people are and what they're doing i've got people that are in denmark in uh, BC in, in, in Western Canada, people in England, in Australia, in uh, Norway, Sweden, Germany, England, uh, Portland, everywhere that you can possibly imagine there's people listening to this and uh, you know it's, a, it's an honest wrap. I'm a guy sitting on a dock uh, with a bit of coffee left in my cup looking at this beautiful boat and very excited to share this with you. So I know that these have been a little intermittent. Um, I guess they're intermittent because you know what? I've screwed everything I've got to the sticking place and I made it happen. So I'm sorry. Like I I had to do that. Um, and, uh, it's been done. Uh, the boat's here now. So I think that I can hold a phone in front of myself as we all do quite often and chat to you quite regularly. So let's see if I can do that and get, uh, you involved in every part of this step along the way. I've also got, um, two uh, guests, which I'm excited to bring onto the podcast the next couple of days. So let's maybe do, uh, a couple about my project and a couple with other people to keep the variety there. But I've got, um, Phil Backman, who's hopefully going to talk to us about his wooden boat building and his experience, um, at the Newport wooden boat building school and the beautiful little little boat that he's building out in Buzzards Bay right now and I've got Leslie and Mickey with their um, catamaran I spoke to Leslie just the other day she's very happy to, to come on and tell us about their project they're actually in Maine at the moment they were hoping to come to Nova Scotia but the border to Canada is closed so they can't do that but um, they're, they're at a point where that boat's now sailing so they've got a real tell to tell of uh, buying a boat which had been damaged and then going through all the obstacles that that uh, represents and getting onto the water and turning a dream into a reality. So inspiring for me to hear from them. And uh, also you'll be able to hear me soon. I'm going to be doing a podcast with Andy Shell. Andy Shell has the On The Wind podcast, which is the number one sailing podcast, I think, in the world. Um, Andy and I have done a couple of podcasts in the past. I'm very excited to go on there and spread the message of what I'm doing with this project wider, wider and further. And uh, thank you to my Patreon community. If you don't know, we have a Patreon community where people come in as little as $5 a month. You can add a little bit of change to the jar to... Um, keep things rolling here obviously i'm not working spartan is not operating at all um i have used up all of my resources to make this happen um 
I am like flitting, got my Patreon community helped me out. We've got a little bit of stuff going on on YouTube, podcasts, that kind of stuff, but it's, uh, it's pretty tough going. So a little coins in the jar is always appreciated for 20 bucks a month uh, we've got these videos that we do i have been a little bit behind on those but it's uh i think we're going to be putting more stuff about this project and i'm very excited to share this so there'll be podcasts on there there'll be images there'll be blogs there'll be videos um if you want to have your name on the hull of the boat it's a hundred bucks a month um and then actually you know, when you do a hundred bucks a month you actually go in a draw to win a trip um, with Spartan going and doing a regatta or a voyage. So lots to be done there. And then there's a, another tier above that, which is 200 bucks a month, which is pretty pretty full-on sponsorship by the time you get into that point. Um, but that is a closed uh, um, draw. Just the people that are at that uh, level then get the opportunity to go in a draw and win a transatlantic voyage uh, on the boat. Um, people that are in that group are excited to see who gets picked obviously it's 200 bucks a month but those trips are normally five thousand dollars to go across the atlantic on either the open 60 or the volvo 60 so um there's also a a button which you can click which is a thousand bucks a month it's kind of the drunk millionaires button but um that's more for uh companies that want to get involved and put some branding on the boat so if you've got any great ideas of how we can get money into this if you've got any like (laughs) rich old uncles or something that have uh, passed away and want to leave their million to the cattery no don't give it to the cattery give it to me let's get the rigging on the boat let's get the mainsail on the boat and let's go and sail around the world uh, and promote nova scotia and uh hopefully you'll be with me the whole way you know only five people have ever done this just finishing it will be incredible and anybody that knows me knows my problem solving skills knows my attitude um i am dangerously pragmatic at sea um if there is a scrap of carbon fiber if there is a square inch of sail i will get this thing around the world maybe we can't take the record because i say it's been set by a, an absolute beast of a sailor jean-luc vandenheed just won the golden globe race in his 70s uh but we've got the right boat We've got the right attitude, full commitment. We're right in the vortex here. And anybody got great ideas about how to get over the hurdle of the rigging and the mainsail, then uh, I'm, I'm here and ready to listen. You can always email me at CSM, Charlie Sierra Mike, my name, CSM, the Mariner at gmail.com or contact me through the website info at Spartan Ocean Racing. The website's got a lot of stuff on this challenge. It's got a lot of things about the Pride of Nova Scotia and the Blue Nose and everything that we're doing. So have a look at that. And uh, exciting. Yeah, the sun is now up. The birds are tweeting. The cat is going mental because I'm basically ignoring it. The coffee's cold. It's time to get on with the day. I'm going to be painting the internal furniture today. We're going to be setting the windows back. I say we, me and the boat. It's just me. (laughs) I always say we because of Spartan is kind of like a a collective. But um, I am going to be... getting the boat looking as good as possible. Chester Race Week, which happens here in Nova Scotia, is the oldest regatta in North America. It's been cancelled because of COVID-19. So the Lunenburg Yacht Club is putting on a little regatta um, this weekend. And um, the Pride of Nova Scotia is going to be out on the water, uh, not in the race. She's not able to go racing right now. And the course would probably be too shallow for her. She draws 16 feet and really needs 20 feet to be safe. So we won't be in the race, but we'll be there cheering them on and uh, very visible. Uh, the branding will be available. So um, it's going to be exciting. Uh, weekend for us to be involved in that so of course i want to make her look as good as i possibly can get all the external bits and bobs done so she looks her best and uh others can share in my pride in this beautiful boat and this fantastic project so wherever you are and whatever you're doing i hope that you are safe and sound and got your own projects working towards them keep putting one foot in front of the other as 
the old saying goes, the more action you take, the more progress you make. Sometimes it looks like you're just bashing your head on a brick wall, but heads can go through brick walls if you just keep knocking and knocking and knocking. I've bust through something here now that I'm able to sit on these steps and look at this boat and like, it's not exactly exactly how I'd like it to be. I'd love it this to be a gift to the province and I don't have to try and get some funding, but it's pretty damn close. It's happened. We're here. And I hope that whatever you're working on, you get your own breakthrough moment and uh, have your own joy and your own pride in what you're doing. So I'll be speaking to you very soon. Until then, cheers. Cheers.